This episode contains mature content. Are you constantly on the go? The newly updated Jesus Calling mobile app makes it easy to feel God's presence wherever you are. Read devotions and scriptures, purchase products, take notes, and so much more. The app is available for purchase on both Apple and Android. Download it today. Eventually, our entire family was killed in the concentration camps or somewhere by the Nazis. Everybody, my brother and I, we were the only two people who survived. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. This week, we'll hear the stories of two individuals who were tragically separated from their families at an early age. Though they faced unimaginable losses, they fought to hold on to what was left of their families and continued to seek God as they also searched for their belonging in the world. Johann Werfel has seen more than his fair share of suffering. As a Holocaust survivor who experienced firsthand Hitler's persecution of the Jewish people and separation from his parents, Johann clung to his brother to survive and held on to faith that they would make it through. Holly Marie's parents were members of a cult who compelled them to give Holly Marie up for adoption when she was just a baby. When members of her biological family connected with her years later, there was an emotional reunion and revelations that would forever change her life. Let's begin with Johann's story. I'm uh, Johann uh, Werfel. I'm uh, originally from Austria. I was born June the 15th, 1932, in Germany, in Dresden, Germany. My father originally was Catholic. My mother was Jewish. And when we left Austria, we really had no choice because, as you know, Hitler came into Austria, it was called the Anschluss, back in 1938. At that time, we went to Berlin to my grandparents, and we lived there for a while. You know, the Nazis and Hitler, they were beginning to pick them up. Uh, in in Berlin, uh, it seemed like uh, every day our neighbors uh, were gone or our friends were gone and they evidently were put on a train and were sent east. It was a very, very sad time for my family. Our friends disappeared, our families uh, disappeared. Of course, you know, like all Germans, young people, unless you were in the Hitler Youth, you would be in a concentration camp. But there were no German people who did not want to get into the Hitler Youth. If you didn't, the Nazis would get you, would question you, why aren't you in the Hitler Youth? And next thing you knew, you were in a concentration camp somewhere. So we had no choice My grandfather knew of this place, of this summer camp on the North Sea, and he knew the lady who was running the camp. She was a wonderful woman. Her name was Irma Franzen Heinrichsdorf. And we called her, for us, she was always Aunt Irma, Tante Irma, 
She knew that uh, my brother and I were Jewish, and she was going to be with us and help us and did an excellent job because many times the Gestapo or the SS would come by the camp and to check who was there, and they always questioned who are these two boys, and somehow she was always able to talk her way out of problems and just told them that she adopted us, and we joined Tante Irma's children, who already were in the Hitler Youth. We would go to school, and we'd be in school at 8 o'clock in the morning until 1 o'clock. And at 1 o'clock, we would leave the school, and we had to work. You know, at that time, all the men were in the military, so they weren't around anymore. So after school, we would go either work on a farm or personally, I like to go out on a ship boat. I spent a lot of time on the North Sea for three, four years. Loved working with horses, and we had no motorized equipment at all. We couldn't get the gasoline anyway because that all went to the uh, military. We just worked with the horses. We plowed the field. And even though I went there when I was six years old, I didn't leave until I was 17. My father, he worked for the president of Austria. So they were put on a train and they were taken to Sachsenhausen, a concentration camp immediately north of Berlin. My mother, at that point, went to Czechoslovakia and lived in Prague because that seemed to be the safest place at that particular point. Hitler, you know, came into, took over Czechoslovakia. She went back to Berlin and she rented a little apartment and she said, I want my sons here with me at least for a while. So we left the camp in northern Germany and went back to live with my mother we were on a mission for my mother to deliver a uh, envelope to a certain person. So my mother told us which subway to take, where to change subways, and when we come out of the exit, there would be a gentleman there who would have a code name, and you give him that envelope, and he will give an envelope to you in return. Now, of course, what was going on here, my father at the concentration camp somehow used an SS man. So my father and my mother were corresponding through that uh, illegal means. Now, when my brother and I took the subway and we went back home, right around the corner from the subway station, we saw all these Gestapo and SS vehicles parked or standing in front of our building. Now, a lot of people lived in that building. So we decided that we're going to wait right there on the corner with the same envelope that we had, and we'll wait until the SS and Gestapo would leave, and then we'll ask our mother what was going on. 
and all of a sudden, there came the Gestapo with my mother, put her in one of their cars, and drove her off. And she was arrested. My brother Peter and I, we spent about three days, and through various sources, we found out what prison my mother was taken to. And my brother and I went to the prison. There were a lot of guards there, but no one worried about two little kids. At that point, we found the cell where my mother was. And she said, boys, be good in school. Learn as much as you can. Pay attention. And I know you love me and I love you and I want you to leave right now because I'm afraid you're going to be arrested and you're going to be sent along with me. We never talked to our mother again. We never saw her again. She was taken to Auschwitz and she was killed there. My father, while being a uh, political prisoner, they weren't immediately killed. If they were young enough, they were put to work. And uh, my father was marched with a group of other prisoners every morning from the concentration camp to another building where they built airplanes. He was quite clever and he escaped twice from the concentration camp. My father was caught and my father was uh, put back into the concentration camp. He was punished by the commander himself of the camp. He was made what they call a schuhläufer, where they have to go into a huge circle and they would have to wear certain boots. The boots were a wrong size. Put a huge pack of stones and rocks on your back. And then they had to walk all day long in this circle, in these shoes, which were just about killing their feet, of course, and carrying all the rocks and stuff that they put on their back. And usually they would die doing this after a week or two. And the reason they made the prisoners wear the boots is to find out what leather would be the best to manufacture the proper boots for the military people. And then my father was transferred from there to Mauthausen, which is right on the border of Austria. That's where he spent the last uh, year or so of his concentration camp life until the Americans freed him. He had been in the camps so long. He was a man who weighed about 160, 170 pounds when he was healthy. And when he got out, I understand he only weighed about 85 pounds. And both of his lungs, he only lasted a short while. Eventually, our entire family was killed in the concentration camps. 
or somewhere by the Nazis. Everybody, my brother and I, we were the only two people who survived. We tried very hard to get out of Germany, my brother and I, and three years after the war, the U.S. Army in southern Germany, they called us and said, we found your dance record that he worked with the president of Austria, and we also know what happened to your mom. So if you boys want to come to America, we'll be happy to have you. And that was probably the happiest day of my life when we landed in LaGuardia, and I knew that I was in, in this country, a country where you had freedom, where you had democracy. Coming from Germany, from the Second World War, the difference was so immense. You know, it was just a wonderful thing for us to be in this country. And I still feel that way to this day. I was in this country for three years, and by then I had, of course, learned the language and was working in the insurance business. And then I was drafted by the U.S. Army uh, during the Korean War. We were all ready to go to Korea, and I guess they found in my personal records that uh, I was from Germany originally and that I spoke German. So they called me in and they said, well, instead of Korea, we're going to send you to Germany because we need interpreters in Germany in the U.S. Army. That was the best thing and the luckiest thing that happened to me because I think about one-third of the people that I took basic training with did not come back. They were killed over in Korea. I was stationed in the headquarters company of the 1st Infantry Division in Würzburg, Germany. One day, the company commander called me into his office and said, we would very much like to have you be in the color guard for the 1st Infantry Division. I said, yeah, that's wonderful. I consider that a tremendous compliment to carry the American flag, to be in the color guard. And uh, when the 10-year anniversary came around of D-Day. They told me that the color guard would go to Normandy along with all the color guards and honor troops of all the Allied countries who fought the war and liberated Europe. So I got to go there and we marched in front of Churchill and Eisenhower and de Gaulle and all these people who came to the anniversary day. I so remember when I was 12 years old back in Germany and we heard then on the BBC that the troops had landed successfully in Normandy. And here, all these years later, I was in the color guard in Normandy to celebrate the success of the invasion. And the sun was rising over the channel. And we stood there lowering the flags and listening to the tabs. It was just an unbelievable experience. I 
I lived such a good life in this country. I wanted to build something. I wanted to do something. I lived here and worked up a nice business. Eventually, after I think about 20 or 30 years, we were we belonged to the 200 largest insurance agencies in this country. I got married. I married a beautiful girl. She once was Miss El Salvador. We had three children, three girls, Odette, Dana, and Lisa. I was so happy in this country. I lived such a good life in this country because of the philosophy of politics here and so on. It was just a phenomenal thing. I was so blessed in this country and by my life as a whole. To learn more about the Holocaust and Johann Werfel's story, check out his book, My Two Lives. Stay tuned to Holly Marie's story after a brief message. Motherhood. It's a journey like no other, teeming with love, unparalleled dedication, and moments that pierce the very essence of your soul. It's a trek that demands to be celebrated, lauded, and embraced in its entirety. Celebrate the moms in your life this Mother's Day with two beautiful gift books, Jesus Calling for Moms by Sarah Young and Grace for the Moment for Moms by Max Licato. These heartfelt devotionals will remind the moms in your life just how special they are. Jesus Calling for Moms and Grace for the Moment for Moms are available now where all books are sold. During times of transition and unknown next steps, it's more important than ever to cling to the promises of God and to tune your ear to what Jesus has to say. Jesus Calling for Graduates is an encouraging compilation of 150 devotions from Sarah Young's brand. Grads will find topics such as discerning God's will, self-worth, trust, support, and much more. Jesus Calling for Graduates is perfect for both high school and college graduates as they embark on the next chapter. Look for our special custom edition of Jesus Calling for Graduates, available exclusively at faithgateway.com. Our next guest is Holly Marie. At only 10 months old, Holly was brought to the door of a church by three women from a nomadic religious group. Adopted by the church's pastor and raised in a loving home, many questions about her biological parents remained a mystery. In 2022, Holly discovered that not only had she been a missing person for over 40 years, but also about the sad outcome of her parents' lives. Hello, I am Holly Marie. I am a wife, a mother to five children, and a grandma to two grandsons and one granddaughter who is due March 17th. I praise God for all my family, for they are all my greatest treasures of life. As a child, I grew up knowing that my biological parents, Dean and Tina Klaus, gave me up for an adoption as an infant to join a nomadic religious group. My adopted dad always told me, and even in sermons as he pastored, of what a special gift from God that I truly am. As I got older, I began to realize that the nomadic religious group who believed in giving their children up and giving up all their possessions to follow God was actually called a cult. I knew in my heart 
God would never ask me to give up my children as an obedient act to him. I could see giving up all my possessions, but never my children, his gifts to us all. The day I found out I was missing for over 40 years, I was working as a server at a Nathie's Deli and Grill. A Louisville detective, Craig Holloman, and a Texas Attorney's General, Mindy Montford, came to inform me that my biological parents, Dean and Tina Klaus, had been murdered and were found unidentified in January 1981. They were later identified as genetic DNA technology evolved because a member of their family, my dad's sister, who is my Aunt Debbie, donated DNA and matched in 2021. When my Aunt Debbie was informed about the murders, she asked, what about the baby? And so began the missing children's search for me. My first reaction to my parents' murders was overwhelming grief. I was handed my parents' picture of us last seen before our disappearance in October of 1980. I finally got to put a face to only a name I had known. My tears couldn't stop flowing. I was then informed about their family who had been searching and praying for me to be found and wanted to meet me that very day by a Zoom call. Immediately, I felt overwhelming joy that my biological family actually searched and prayed for me to be found and wanted to meet me. I found out in the Zoom call that day, unbeknownst to the detectives, that I was found on my biological dad's birthday, June 7th, 2022. Since our family reunification with my biological family, my family tree grew immensely overnight. We all have embraced one another and our one big happy family, my adopted and biological family. As my adopted dad, came with me to meet them all. I talk and pray weekly with them all. I praise God every day for blessing me with an adopted and biological family who both loved me and prayed with me and always have my whole life. We are all part of an organization that evolved out of the search for me called Genealogy for Justice. And a memorial fund in my parents' honor has been established called the Dean and Tina Lynn Klaus Memorial Fund. The donations given to the organization are used to identify and solve more cold cases like my parents. My grandma Donna's heart's desire, as well as mine, was to turn my parents' tragedy into miracles for other families. I praise God for the opportunity to meet and get to know my grandma Donna and to get to know my parents through her memories shared with me. Before she passed away, I have so many unanswered questions in our ongoing investigation. I pray God leads these witnesses to come forward. I'm at a place in life where I can reconcile their murders and know that, that God gave them justice, even if I don't get to see it till heaven. I first started my prayer journals in 2016 with my first prayer, asking God to help me share my story with all who will listen. Of course, I had no idea the grand story God would lay upon my heart to share, but I did know I had a message to offer of holding on to faith in God and never giving up hope in God through the storms of life. I praise God for the platform He has opened up for me to share my story. This is an honor that I don't deserve, but shows how great our God is in that He bestows His greatness upon all those who call upon His name, not because we earn it or deserve it, 
but because he loves us that much. I urge everyone to start a prayer journal. Record all your prayers and praises daily so you can see God at work in your life and the life of those of whom you pray for. This is a prayer from Jesus Listens, January 4th, All-Knowing God. I delight in the truth that I am fully known. You know absolutely everything about me, yet you love me with perfect, unfailing love. I've spent many years searching for greater self-understanding and self-acceptance. Underlying this search is the desire to find someone who truly understands me and accepts me as I am. I've discovered that you are the someone who can satisfy my deep-seated longing. In my relationship with you, I have become more completely who I really am. As I take time to soak in this powerful love, it fills up my empty spaces and overflows into joyous worship. I rejoice that I am perfectly known and forever loved. In your loving name, Jesus. Amen. To learn more about Holly Marie, check out her book, Finding Baby Holly, Lost to a Cult, Surviving My Parents' Murders and Saved by Prayer. If anyone has any information about this case, please email the Missing Persons and Cold Case Unit at babyhollytips at oag.texas.gov. If you'd like to hear more stories about family connections, check out our Peace in Uncertain Times YouTube video with Ellie Holcomb. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we'll hear from comedian and entertainer Anita Renfro, who shares how she went from being a church pianist to a touring comedian, and how she cherishes the opportunity to connect with others through the joy of laughter. I feel like laughter, as Anne Lamott says, is carbonated holiness. And if you get in the presence of it, you change. You feel, you feel like there's hope. I love that that hope is embedded in laughter. Thanks for listening to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Every week we'll bring you stories from people who share their journeys of faith and how prayer and a relationship with God transformed their lives. Be sure to follow us on Apple Music, Spotify, iHeart, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And leave us a review so others can be inspired weekly by these stories of faith. Finally, you can find encouragement, resources, and more on the Jesus Calling website at JesusCalling.com.